You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Mary McCourt. Welcome back with us this week. I hope you're having a lovely summer. I hope you're not dying of heat. Wherever you are, I hope you have rain. And if you are having a lovely summer, leave it to us to ruin it with our choice for this week. I don't I know you said hour, but I think I'm going to put this one on you. I don't know. Ah, dang it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we did The Girl in the Picture. It's 2022 release on Netflix, an hour and 41 minutes, directed by Sky Borgman. Oh my God, Erin. Do you know how hard it was for me to re-watch this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's really, uh, really something. I want to say that Sky Borgman, which is a great name, because part mm-hmm. of it is really old school and part of it is like, new agey and I'm like what an interesting uh, cat this must be but Mm -hmm. this is also the director of abducted in plain sight so I was Mm -hmm. like it's a theme I think he's got a (laughs) he's got a niche (laughs) do you think Sky's a boy I I assumed Sky was a female but I assumed it was a man but I don't know for sure listen it's an androgynous name Sky can be whatever they want to be that's right yeah this one the documentary was good. I will yes. I will say that and say the documentary was very well done. Mm-hmm. However, the story, there's like very little redeeming qualities about the story. I kept waiting for something good to happen. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Now I need therapy. The best I can say is that there's a defined ending. There's some closure. Yep. Yeah. There's yep. some closure. But mm-hmm. that's about the best you get. Mm-mm. All right. Let's get cracking. Let's dive in. So Oklahoma City, this is where it opens, Mm -hmm. April 1990. Mm -hmm. There's some guys and they find some debris along a roadside. Of course, they find a woman's body because, you know, she is still alive. She's taken to the hospital where her husband shows up and reveals her name. Mm -hmm. And he says that she's she's a stripper. She has a young son. His name is Michael. Her name is Tanya Hughes. And right away, I have some beef with this. How did he know where she was? Right. If they didn't know who she was, so they couldn't contact next to Ken. Right. There's a lot of that going on. Okay. I don't know know if you picked up on that. They did say it was a while later. So maybe it's one of those Mm -hmm. she didn't come home. He called hospitals. Okay. I'll give him that one. You'll try to be generous. That's it. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't last yeah. long, that generosity. It's noticed pretty soon after she's been in the hospital that she's got a lot of bruises, a lot of old injuries. So, I mean, mm-hmm. here we hit the trope of she's a battered woman. Mm-hmm. Just starting off nice all, all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. And her husband, Clarence, it's like a horse's name, isn't it? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. It's a really long face. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> He's considerably older than Tanya. She is 20 at the time Mm -hmm. and he is 110. Yes, pretty much. And so they think that's a little unusual. His behavior is a little unusual as well. Mm -hmm. And by that, we mean he doesn't want her to have any visitors. It's just odd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then we kind of flip over to one of her friends that she worked with. This lady's name is Karen. She seems like a good Karen, like not the connotation of today's Karen. Can I say before they introduce Karen, they do say that her friends who she danced with, mm-hmm. they wanted to get a hold of her family. Mm-hmm. And so they say that they called a woman that they assumed was her mother to tell her that her daughter had passed. And this woman says, well, her daughter had died 20 years ago at 18 months old. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they've realized that her name wasn't Tanya Hughes. And I'm like, okay, this is 1990. This is not the age of the internet. Mm -hmm. You've got a phone book and you assume that this location or this, that's a really broad assumption. I would have just Mm -hmm. assumed I picked the wrong Tanya Hughes' mom. You know what I mean? That's not a 
horribly. It's not like you called Benedict Cumberbatch's mom. There's probably <laughs> one of those in the world, right? So yes. it just seemed like a stretch to say, well, we call this woman. She said it's not her kid. So clearly that's not her name. So we just jumped to these wild assumptions. Yeah. Right. Maybe they weren't jumps, but they say it in the documentary. I don't know. Do you think that you make Benedict Cumberbatch's mom say penguin to try to, <laughs> to try to get it? Yeah, she could probably say it just fine. That's right. <laughs> oh, if you don't know that, oh, it's so good. Karen, her friend that, that she danced with, mm-hmm. they met in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1989. They're fast friends, lots of similarities. Karen also has the joy of meeting Clarence and Michael. Mm-hmm. It seems that Michael and Tanya are very close and she dotes on her kid and, and that's a great relationship, but it is mm-hmm. strained with Michael and Clarence. As in Karen mentions the body language is such that Clarence and Michael don't, they're not close together. Uh, Michael seems to shy away from Clarence. Right. And there are some, hints and allegations or or maybe she just straight up says it that Clarence really controls Tanya through access to her kid. So she doesn't ever have a chance to take her kid anywhere alone. Right. So she's kind of limited in what she can do with him. And so you're starting mm-hmm. to get the picture painted for you that things are not all well at um Shea Hughes. Mm-hmm. And Tanya is battered. She's controlled. She ends up finding a life insurance policy that Clarence has taken out on her. You get the sense that she's maybe trying to formulate a way to leave him. On April 25th of 1990, Clarence calls Karen to tell her about the hit and run. But Karen says it's weird that Tanya never told her that they were going out of town because those two were pretty tight. They were pretty close. And that would have been a normal thing for best friends to share with one another which did not happen. So Karen sneaks in to see Tanya because of course, Clarence has said no visitors. No visitors. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's very suspicious to the degree where the nurses are suspicious. It's just very odd. Tanya did pass away at the ripe old age of 20. And then Karen actually calls the DHS to try to get Michael removed from Clarence because that's not a great situation. Right. They do briefly introduce a doctor who was a neurosurgeon who said that Sharon was actually doing really well. Oh, sorry. What's her name? Sharon at the time. No, Tanya. Tanya was actually doing really well considering she was in a auto pedestrian accident. She was the pedestrian here. And so he was like, she was doing fairly well. And then all of a sudden she just took a turn for the worse and passed fairly quickly. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was a mystery to him. And when a neuro doctor says it's a mystery, I'm like, okay, well, that's fucked up. But still, she did pass at the age of 20. They did give her a headstone that only says Tanya on it because after their extensive investigation of the phone book, they determined that's not her name. (laughs) I'm hoping it's just abbreviated for the documentary, right? There was a little more involved, surely. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. But still, they just had Tanya, so they gave her a headstone. DHS, DHS, um, they do come. I know, it's a day. This this documentary really has me fucked up, and I just need therapy now. Mm -hmm. But they do come and take Michael out of Clarence's home. He's put in a foster home when he was two. So just a sweet little baby. And you see these pictures. He... He's super sweet. He looks like he's happy a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Or that's just when they took pictures. Unlike me, who took pictures of my kids crying all the time, whether they were or not, because <laughs> I just like to see the little scrunchy face. But this is where we meet the Beans, Merle and Ernest. Those, I'm sorry, are the best names I've ever heard in my I, life. I love, I'm, I'm like, I think maybe I need to go spend some time with Merle and Ernest Bean. <laughs> They're adorable. If I were to have more kids, which I'm not, it's not possible, but maybe I can convince my kids when they have kids to name one of them Merle and another Ernest. I just love those names. They're so old school. There's some definite charm into uh, some of the old and unexplored names. I 100% Mm -hmm. agree. And they look exactly like their name implies. There's a lot of crocheted blankets. There's an old (laughs) recliner. You know what I mean? Yes. They just, they are adorable people, very, very big hearted. Mm-hmm. And they take this little boy in. He's got some initial behavioral issues. A couple of things that they mentioned that I thought was really funny was he was bottle fed. This is a two year old kid, mm-hmm. bottle fed 
and then I have Pepsi only, and they didn't explain any more than that. And I'm like, right. was the Pepsi in the bottle? Was the Pepsi the bottle? I don't understand. <laughs> like, he'd never experienced water. Like, what are we talking about here? Right? That's what the caseworkers told him. He's still on the bottle. When you say on the bottle, it's either going to be whiskey or a traditional baby <laughs> bottle. It's one of the two, right? Yeah. It's like a formula situation. Yeah. yeah. Pepsi. Only Pepsi in the bottle. And I thought, one, who the fuck gives their kid Pepsi? Now, you know, she was young. She didn't have a lot of help. I don't blame her as much as Clarence. But his teeth, were they rotting out of his tiny little head? Oh, my God. I don't know. They didn't explore that. But I was like, okay, Merle and Ernest handle it in stride. They wean yeah, him they off do. that bottle. Yeah, first day. <laughs> and he survives, which is great. <laughs> they end up having him for four years. They see a lot of improvement in that time because he's got, I assume, some stability and less fear in his household than what he had before, according to what Karen has relayed to us. And then they talk about Clarence trying to get this kid back. And there's some footage of him in court. Did you have some impressions you would like to share about that? My first thought is that was a bold move, considering his situation. When you look at the entire documentary and you look back, maybe, and when you're at the end, that's mm. pretty bold of him to go into a court of law and try to get his kid back, right? Oh, yeah. But then also, of course, it was the same old these people are treating him horribly. They tell him I'm a horrible person. I just want to be with my kid. It wasn't very genuine. I agree. It's a lot of postulating. And mm -hmm. he says stuff like, I wasn't able to give him care that first week of my wife's death. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that kid is too. Unfortunately, my dude, you don't have a choice. That kid needs care. He cannot make himself mm -hmm. scrambled eggs. You know what I mean? Like you're going right. to have to be there. So, right. you know, he's sort of admitting the fact that he had some trouble providing what this kid needed for a time, but I'm like, mm -hmm. he's too, there's no option there. So I, I don't buy it. Mm -hmm. But during the time that the beans had him, Michael had visitation with his mm -hmm. father yeah. And he didn't want to go a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine how horrible that would have been for the foster parents to force yep. him because you have yep. to go by law. And so you have to right. force this kid to do something he doesn't want to. They did do a paternity test. I didn't take the time to look into it, but 1994-ish, early 90s, what would a paternity test involve? Just a blood test to see if your blood matched? I mean... I mean, Maury Povich made a whole empire out of the paternity test about that time, so... It's a bit later, I think. Maury Povich used to do, like, real stuff as a talk show host, and then it just went down, down right. the drain. Either way... Yes, they did discover that he's not the father. No relation at all. I hearken back to your statement of, it's a bold move, my dude. <laughs> you want to see a kid that's not even your kid. Right. Yeah. Or, again, it's not even that he wasn't the father. There was no familiar relation at all. Mm -hmm. Which, all right, keep this in mind. Dear listener. Right. File that away. Mm -hmm. A sweet nugget. So visitation stopped. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank God. Unfortunately, Clarence doesn't like being told no. Of course, he is like stalking the family mm -hmm. and the kid. And on September 12th of 1994, he walks into an elementary school, not any elementary school, Michael's elementary school, he had a gun. He got the principal to take him to Michael's classroom and made the principal go with him and Michael as he kidnapped Michael. They stole the principal's truck. They drove a little way outside of where they were going and Clarence tied the principal to a tree and duct taped his mouth and, and took off with Michael. Which is weird, right? Like that's, there's a lot going on there. I kept waiting to find out that the principal was involved, but he was not. But it mm -hmm. just seems like, I don't know, evil genius or something to be like, and I tied him to a tree and I put duct tape all over it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's more than what is necessary. Right. I guess the mm -hmm. sooner they find the principal, the sooner they have more evidence and they could probably find Michael and Clarence faster. Right. So you just try to prolong that. This is where we meet. I didn't get his name until later. Who was the Choctaw police? That's Billy Carter. Billy mm -hmm. Carter with this cowboy hat. Yeah. 10 gallon. No doubt. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. No, that's not yeah. a five gallon hat. It's it a is 10 substantial. Hat. Yeah. Him and 
they also bring in FBI agent Joe Fitzpatrick. They're mm-hmm. the predominant law enforcement that deal with this case. They put out a bolo for Clarence and Michael. Sure. The FBI found out that Clarence Hughes tried to claim the life insurance on his wife, but he did that using his real social security number. Right. They find out his real name is Franklin Floyd. It's better than Clarence, I guess. I don't know. I agree. And boy, what a rabbit hole do we fall down at this point? Because this guy is really something. He's prolific, yeah. Yes, he has an extensive record, kidnapping, robbery, all kinds of crazy shit. And there's also quite a bit of heavy news coverage at this time. Yes. Jenny Fisher was a friend in high school of a girl named Sharon Marshall. Her mother sees the news, says they're calling her Tanya, but I'm pretty sure that's Sharon and they could see it was Sharon. And so that's when Jenny Fisher gets involved and contacts the FBI because she was good friends with Sharon Marshall, a.k.a. Tanya Hughes. A lot of names in this one. So try to keep up. Jenny Fisher, Sherry Fortson, and Lynn Thornton are besties at Forest Park High School in Georgia. And that's kind of when we learn a little bit about who Sharon or Tanya, as she is later known, kind of what her whole thing was. And I was really impressed to find out She was quite bright. Not that that wasn't implied earlier, but she had a scholarship to go to Georgia Tech. Yeah, full scholarship for aerospace. I don't think it was ever questioned her intelligence, like you said. It's Mm -hmm. more people in certain environments, it's difficult to thrive. Right. And she somehow was able to thrive, Mm -hmm. even under the circumstances. Right. She was part of the student council. Jenny said that that's where she met Sharon. We'll call her Sharon from here on out. That's when she met Sharon at student council camp. All of them, like you said, Jenny, Lynn, and Sherry all talk about how supportive she was. Mm -hmm. She wasn't just friendly. She wasn't just happy, but she supported her friends. She made them feel important. And that's, that's a unique quality to have. Sure. You know, especially when you're going through so much of your own. Yeah. And that's when we start to find out that Her home life was not ideal. There were some instances that they called out, like her dad takes out a full page ad in the local paper, which is common. I would not say that's uncommon to be like, hey, congratulations for your success in high school or like whatever you're going to do next. But in this case, it was a really sexy picture. Oh, that's kind of weird because her dad would have been the one who took the ad out. Mm-hmm. That's got a weird connotation to it. And people noticed, right? Right. The rumor was that her mom had been killed in a hit and run as well. Of course, this was years earlier, so we didn't know. But I mean, like, it's weird that mom and daughter both die of the same thing like that. Right. Accident. Right. That's coincidence. Yeah. So Jenny discusses how her parents did not like Sharon and her father. Uh, Well, they like Sharon. They didn't like the father because their first meeting of him, he had walked up and asked Jenny's dad for like a loan. Did you ever met this person? Who does that? It's odd. So she wasn't able to really go over to Sharon's. But one time when her dad was out of town, her being Jenny's dad was out of town, Jenny's mom like concedes and says, fine, you can go stay the night. Don't tell your dad. And she goes over there and there are a couple comments that she makes one they don't have doors they just have curtains okay that's fucking creepy two she mentioned jenny mentions that sharon has a lot of really expensive like lingerie and she's like oh yeah my dad buys it for me okay that's not cool yeah it makes you want to crawl out of your skin because again you yeah. just no mm-hmm. and then she says that In the course of the night, they're like in the Mm -hmm. middle of getting dressed and the dad walks in with a gun to which Jenny, of course, grabs clothes to try to cover herself and kind of screams. He laughs and says, I'll be back, walks out. Mm -hmm. He comes back in, tells Jenny to get on the floor on the sleeping bag. I think he tells her to put a pillow over her head or something. Then he proceeds to rape Sharon, his daughter. Right. With Jenny. While in the room. Jenny's in the room. Mm-hmm. And Jenny is 
so traumatized. Right. Sharon kind of laughs it off. Like, that's just dad. That's just what he does. It's fine. It's fine. I don't know how you come back from that in a friendship. I'm sure that it's possible. But there's not enough explanation, right, for Jenny to be like, I'm cool with this. And so I think that sort of begins the losing touch with Sharon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. That is really, that really stuck out to me that Sharon was the one who had to console Jenny. Like she said the next morning, she hugged her. She's like, it's just the way he is. It's fine. I'm fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. That's someone who hopefully has learned to disassociate from it so you can still function. Yeah. Compartmentalized city. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that Ginny stays quiet too. Like I don't, trauma affects people in different ways. She was terrified. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. sure when you have no capacity to deal with whatever just happened, that she really didn't speak out or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. That was interesting to me, too, because I was like, oh, so this wasn't exactly an unknown situation. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like, we think of abused people as, like, they're quiet, they're depressed, they're, you know, there's all kinds of things. But, like, in Sharon's case, she did not adhere to some of those things that we think we would identify with somebody that are, you know, that's in some kind of bad home situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she must have been a person of incredible inner strength. I don't want to imagine, honestly. I know, but I know. <laughs> sometime later, they don't say when, they don't say how much longer, but sometime later, Sharon gets pregnant. She's told now she can't go to college. And Lynn makes the comment, he said, I think it crushed her not being able to go to Georgia Tech. You fucking think? For several reasons. One, that's what she was working towards. But two, she would have been on her own. Right. She would have gotten away from her dad. Right. Fingers. And it was her dad, by the way, that said that she couldn't go to school. And I was like, well, that's convenient. Isn't it, though? Mm Mm-hmm. So they moved to Arizona. I put that in quotes because I'm not sure if that's exactly where they moved. But that's where she told Jenny they were moving. Mm -hmm. She was going to move there, have the baby, give it up for adoption. Jenny meets Joe Fitzpatrick, our FBI friend, Mm -hmm. to try to help with a kidnapping case. And he's telling her all this. What was fascinating to her and probably horrifying was the fact that when she sees all this going on, they're calling Sharon's father, her husband. And Jenny's like, no, 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 that's her father. And he's like, no, 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 they got married. (laughs) Yeah, like legit got married. They chose some aliases. This is specifically from Tombstones, which is, boy, that's interesting. They actually do end up getting married because feeling some heat at some point. A mother and a son, right? Or a father and a daughter that were traveling together instead of a Mm -hmm. husband and a wife that were traveling together. So they did this to throw people off their trail. Much Mm -hmm. later, right? They they do that later. They do that after Florida, when they leave Florida. Okay. So we meet, in Florida, we meet Heather Lane. She's a dancer at the Mons Venus. Mm -hmm. And apparently that was the biggest to do in the world. At the time. I'd assume that that makes a difference in the money you're able to pull down. Like you Mm -hmm. want to be part of a really well-known establishment, a famous establishment. I think that's kind of why that's hit on so hard. Heather is the organizer of something called the Millionaires Club. Right. There are parties. I think it's just, I mean, they make it sound like it's basically just an introduction service. Like you go and you dance for 15 minutes and then you walk off the stage and there's not a lot of whatever. Heather gets told that Sharon is outside boundaries of this club, like kind of interacting with the millionaires, Cordy Fingers, and kind of offering them, offering to do sex work for 50 bucks or whatever. And so Heather is supposed to get Sharon and take her out of there because she's killing the ritziness basically is the what I took away from it, right? Like she was... <laughs> Offering her services for too little or offering her services at all. Um, I was not clear on which mm. which was the bigger faux pas there. So that's when you kind of get the sense that Heather and Sharon kind of get a little closer because she's like, yeah, well, my dad put me up to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad told me. Heather made a comment. She said in 1988, when Sharon walks into the club, the first time Mm -hmm. she sees her, she's like, she looked like a living baby doll. She looked very young. Yeah. That skeeved me out a lot. Yeah. But she looked very young and innocent. You know, a lot of men really like that because they're disgusting. I don't fucking know. She was dancing there. She had good relationships there. 
Mm-hmm. Apparently offering sex for $50 at the Millionaire's Club is a, is a no-no. They squashed that. And Sharon gets pregnant again. And this is when she has Michael. And even Heather was saying the same thing about how the minute Michael was born, she was just a born mother, right? She mm-hmm. loved that kid. He loved her. I mean, I imagine maybe it was a bright spot in her life. Like she was actually getting right. some affection and and whatever. And I thought that was really sweet. Right. We also meet Michelle, which is a babysitter of Michael's. Mm-hmm. She kind of comes across as a person that is meant to hang out with children. You know what I mean? Like she's talking about like really being on his level. And, and I thought that was really cute. And she recounts some fond, and my notes say fond yet weird memories. <laughs> Right. It's like, right. Uh, they both live in a trailer park. They live close together. Michelle specifically mentions a young lady named Cheryl, who is another friend and also a dancer with Sharon. Mm-hmm. It just so happened that one time she was putting in a videotape and she was going to tape something, but it just so happened that it played or some goofy thing happened. And what was on the tape was a beach scene with. Cheryl and Sharon running around topless. Mm-hmm. And this was also shot by Sharon's dad, which mm-hmm. is gross. Yeah. And then word of that gets around the club, right? Yes. And Heather seems almost like a dead mother. She almost yes. seems like she's protective, right? And she's not happy. She talks to Cheryl about it. Like, listen, you you need to stay away from these, these people. They're him specifically. Well, they talk about Cheryl like she was just a stunner. She was... Italian she had this gorgeous hair I'm sure all these women were beautiful right but in Florida you think blonde hair blue eyes and she had olive skin and black hair so she was a little more unique I would assume Mm -hmm. in that environment but Cheryl mentions to Heather or Heather gets the impression that she was scared of Warren who is Warren Clarence whatever because he's tried to assault her at least Mm -hmm. on one occasion with all the heat in the light of discovery here, Sharon and her dad just up and disappear in, in one night. Right. Yeah. And it's assumed because, you know, word about the videotape mm-hmm. is getting around and it's just kind of uncomfortable. So yeah. they probably yeah. just took off, right? As they're looking for Michael still, they're looking into the case and they find out Franklin clearly has a history of violence, of sexual violence. He was arrested in 1962 for abducting and raping a four-year-old. And then... Joe found a neighbor of Franklin's from the 70s. He had a picture of Franklin and Sharon. It looks like it's done at JCPenney's or something. And Sharon was only about five or six years old. Mm -hmm. So, dear listener, this is the picture. I'm assuming. I should have said this at the beginning. The name, this is the one thing I don't like about the documentary, the girl in the picture. There are a lot of pictures in this. There are a lot of girls in this. And I wasn't fucking sure what they were talking about for a while. I'm like, is this the girl? Is this the picture? Right. I think this is the one. Frustrating. (laughs) Right. Sharon was about five or six years old. It's from the 70s. They realized that she was 20 when she was killed in 1990. Then she would have been born about 69, 70. Mm Mm-hmm. Franklin was in prison until 1972 from the four-year-old abduction. Right. Right. So there was no way he could be Sharon's father. Correct. Mm -hmm. So now they're like, okay, he probably kidnapped her as well. And it's just kept her all this time, like 15 years. I'm telling you, every time I think this is as bad as it gets, it just gets worse and worse and worse. It's interesting, too, because they talk about this picture. I guess... The hallmark of some of these pictures is you have sort of a far off distant look like that was just a thing you did at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you weren't necessarily looking at the camera or whatever, but their experts were whoever is talking about this picture. Like they're just like, well, you can tell that she's been abused because she's also got it. She's not smiling. She doesn't look happy in this picture. And I'm like, I thought that was a bit of a leap to be talking about a five or six year old kid in this picture. And you could glean all that information from just a little bit of something. Right. She could have been pissed that you wouldn't let her have something that, you know what I mean? Cause I've got pictures of me where I'm just, my face is dead serious because I'm pissed off. But I think it's taking the information that they have and putting it onto the picture. Right. Right. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. There's nothing in this picture that makes me think it's different than any other Sort of, maybe you don't buy that one. That's the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the impression. Like, right? You know, it's very I mean? well posed. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't think that it was especially concerning. 
but everybody else seemed to think, well, I know what was concerning was Franklin's hair and mustache. That was concerning. 1000%. He looks like a (laughs) villain from a Bond movie. Like it is terrifying. Yes, he does. Yeah. It's so bad. So bad. But it's the 70s, right? That's what everyone looked like, I guess. Yes. I don't know. It's like slightly airbrushed. I don't know. It's, if there had been like a cat in it, that maybe the only (laughs) way it could have been better. Right. So we have Billy Carter and Joe Mm -hmm. Fitzpatrick working Mm -hmm. on this Michael kidnapping case. One thing I wrote down was Billy Carter actually said, God bless those FBI agents who took over this case. Now, I don't know that those words have ever been spoken by local police department ever. Yeah, I liked him because he had the foresight to get somebody else involved. Right? This is bigger than me. I need help. Yes. Yes. Joe Fitzpatrick seemed to be pretty good at his job. He says there were really only a couple cases that were never really resolved, and this happens Mm -hmm. to be one of them. Right. Kind of back to Franklin, he's on the run. He's got this little boy that he kidnapped from the school Mm -hmm. that we now know is not his kid, which is really that seems to be the losing any kind of visitation may have been the catalyst for him to run off with this kid. So while they know that that first 48 hours to find him is key, that does not happen. They, they, it's years before they really have a good direction to go. But as they kind of talk to the neighbor that you mentioned earlier of Franklin's when he was younger, they get some understanding of who he was and what his crimes are. He's got a shit ton of aliases, which is probably how he's been able to make it this long Mm -hmm. out and about on the lam, as they say. And they decide the way we're going to try to flush him out is to kind of put the pause on all his aliases. So all of them are no longer available. Like all the licenses have expired, that kind of situation Mm -hmm. to try to force him to the surface to get something Mm -hmm. renewed. And this is brilliant, right? I honestly, they're like, they looked at the places he's lived before and the mm-hmm. aliases he's used, and they kind of went around and, like you said, killed all the aliases, hoping that he would go to one of these places and renew a license, right? This is before the technology we have now where your photo is stored in a computer or you have fingerprints or anything associated with it. It's just you coming in with the document saying, this is me, I promise. Trust me. Wink, mm-hmm. wink, nudge, nudge. Sure. Right. It works. It works. Yeah. He tries to renew his license in Louisville, Kentucky. And he goes through the process. And when our friends Joe and Billy find out, they have someone pose as the person who's going to deliver the license, like UPS. I think now it comes Mm -hmm. in the mail, right? They come up like they're going to deliver the license and they nab him and they took him into custody. But there's no Michael to be found. No sightings of him. He's he's Mm -mm. unaccounted for at this point. There are a lot of wild tales of his whereabouts, right? So Mm -hmm. Franklin is not forthcoming about what's happened to him at all. So I think that they are wary of anything that he has to say, obviously. It's just we just don't get any closure for what happened to this poor kid at this point. Right. They ask Franklin if Michael's still alive. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I dropped him off with some rich person. Right. Yeah. So it's just like, okay. It sounds shockingly short on details. (laughs) (laughs) I like Joe. He's like. You assume Michael's dead, but you really don't want to believe it, right? Until you have something for reals, you Mm -hmm. want to believe that he's alive. And they Mm -hmm. show video of the beans going on the news to plead for his return. These cats were just shy of having the adoption finalized for him. He'd been there for four years. This was their kid, right? Right. That's how they felt. And they had their kid stolen. Right. And it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Especially because Joe talks about kind of in his mind, the way this went down was, he takes the kid in a matter of days, realizes that the kid is a burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so probably did the kid in early. It probably was not, you know, he probably did not have him very long mm-hmm. before he's decided that, you know, he's not going to keep the kid around, which is really horrific. If you consider the fact that there were, there was a lovely family who wanted him mm-hmm. and why he got taken is a matter of pride or an ego thing. And that's it. Something. Yep. And yep. that's really, that's really horrible. it's disgusting that kid had the biggest prettiest brown eyes he was just a doll he was beautiful it was hard for them to try to charge for michael's death because they don't have enough evidence to prove that he's even dead right so they're able to charge him with kidnapping carjacking 
using a firearm during the carjacking and using mm-hmm. a firearm during the kidnapping. And what I like when they're describing this is the fact that they're like, oh, well, we got to be using a firearm for this. And that's 25 years. And I'm like, but wouldn't the kidnapping be the most serious of those charges? But apparently not. If you have a gun, that's well, if you're a felon, right, and you have a gun and there's probably a lot of rules. And I don't know that they were hedging their bets on. They were like, whatever, we can get them on. Right. No, I don't disagree with that. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Like, why is one of these kidnapping seems to be like a bad thing to do? Like, why are we so Mm -hmm. worried about the firearms charge? Yeah. Those are the district attorneys or the assistant U.S. attorneys. All I have is Edward and Mark. They didn't get last names. No, I'm assuming they're a lovely pair. Franklin tries to argue his own case. You see this a lot with like sociopaths, right? Like they're like, listen, I'm smarter than you. Just let me fucking talk and I'll get off. Right. Thankfully it never works. I love the fact I'm like, absolutely dude, please do your worst. Quotey fingers. But they do kind of talk about, there must be some kind of attorney overseeing some stuff because they do mention that later that. Mm -hmm. I think they said it was kind of a half and half type of thing. Like he was able to argue some and act as a a co Mm -hmm. lawyer in theory. Right. So there, this is Edward and Mark's theory is that he wants to tell his story, but he doesn't want to have to take the stand. So this way he can argue with the judge and kind Mm -hmm. of unburden himself with some ramblings and some tangents without actually having to be deposed. Right. He doesn't want to be questioned. He just wants to be able to monologue, I guess. Postulate. (laughs) Yes. Jenny goes to trial and she talks about how she faced Franklin. Mm -hmm. He actually said to her, you based your opinion on me from the things the FBI told you, right? And she was like, nah, bitch, I drew my opinion of you by the type of lingerie you were buying your daughter and how you were making her dress. I don't know if you recall Franklin, but she was in the room when you did that to your daughter. (laughs) (sighs) I'm telling you, I will forever be fascinated by people who are like, Nobody is going to remember this traumatic event that I forced them to witness, right? Like, <laughs> I moved on from it. Yes, yes. And it's like, people have a different perspective than you. It's crazy. I The self-awareness or lack thereof in everything we've ever talked about is compelling. Right. It's, it's astounding. At one point, she looks at him and she's like, she called you daddy. You were her father. Like, she's clearly Jenny's disgusted. And that's when they mentioned that his lawyer just kind of essentially threw his hands up like, that's it. It's done. It's over. We lost. And he did. They did lose. He ended up being convicted for 52 years. And I'm not sure exactly. Did you get which charge? All counts. He was found guilty on all counts. And as he's being walked out and there are reporters like, hey, Franklin, he's so eloquent. He says, fuck you and Oklahoma. (laughs) Like, that's the whole problem. It's not him. But if Oklahoma curse you hadn't caught him, he'd have gotten away with it. Yeah. A pox on you. There's this kind of interesting part that they spin off on when they're talking about, they look for the principal's truck and they're able to find it. And then I don't know how they did this. They didn't necessarily discuss it, but somebody finds a packet of pictures that's taped to the underside of the truck. I'm going to assume that the truck, because it was used in the crime of the kidnapping, it was taken into police for forensic evidence. And so they just search every nook and cranny. Everything. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of questions. Why would you put it there? What is that all about? Like, I just have to put it somewhere. I can't take it with me. I don't know. I don't want to be found with it. I think it's one of those things that you know that you can't be found with it, but you okay. can't get rid of it. Like he, he couldn't get rid of it because he wanted to keep them. Right. Okay. So it's a trophy. Yeah, kind of. Right. And so it's a way for him to hide them thinking he'd get away with it, but he couldn't bring himself to say burn them, which is the smartest thing to do. But I think we've established he's not the most intelligent person. So what's in the packet, you ask, dear listener? The most horrible of things. It's a lot of porn of young girls. Not only is that part of it, but there's some beatings, like pictures of assault and violence. And that's bad. Listen. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming everyone is just listening to us now because they couldn't finish the documentary. We'll do it for you. Don't worry. It's tough. Yeah. I actually read a lot of reviews of this documentary just because I had a little bit of time to kill. And people were like, the story is horrible, but we really liked the way it was presented. Right. Right. So absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. It's tough for people to kind of take in that this is happening in real life to people. So they don't know who the girl is that's being beaten and is not Sharon. 
in the pictures and the images. Okay. And let's say that they did know that they were Franklin's pictures because there are pictures of Sharon when she was very young. Yes. It was, yes, it was all the bad stuff. So that's how they knew it was associated with Franklin, right? And so then our friend Joe is like, listen, we don't know this girl, but we know where Franklin and Sharon were Mm -hmm. for some of these times. So he sends these pictures to the bureaus in these different cities, different Mm -hmm. states, to try Mm -hmm. to see if anyone can get a hit. And they kind of do. They're sent to Florida, Georgia, and Kentucky. And then they show that in March of 1995 in Florida, a decomposed body was found. Two bullet holes to the back of the skull, so they're like, it's clearly homicide. But they're unable to identify the skeleton. It's about a year after that that they get notified by the FBI, and they, they see these pictures that mm-hmm. Joe has sent. And they notice the shirt in the pictures is similar to the shirt that was with the skeleton. Found with the body, yep. So they got dental records, and they identified her as Cheryl Camesso, the Cheryl from Mons Venus. So this guy is really leaving quite a trail behind him. Right. So they determined that after the videotape incident that mm-hmm. Michelle sees, and the word is being spread, Cheryl shows up with bruises around her neck and on her body. Mm-hmm. This is Heather telling the story. Franklin was obsessed with Cheryl. He would call all the time. He would try to get her address. Heather talks about when one time she went out to the parking lot after work and Cheryl was talking to Franklin and he's like screaming at her in his truck or whatever. And Heather goes over to pull her away. And of course, Franklin doesn't like to take no for an answer. So he just revs his car like he's going to run them over. Yeah, that's a tiny penis move if I ever saw one. <laughs> he's something else. But that night, Heather put Cheryl in her car, assumed she'd go home. Mm-hmm. That's the last time she ever saw Cheryl. That's why they had to bolt out of Florida so quickly. You know, yes. earlier they're like, oh, it was probably just speculation about the tape. Yes. But it turns out, no, no, he's a murdering people. They had to get out. We don't know if Sharon knows that he killed Cheryl. That was a question I had that we'll never get the answer to. But I was curious if Sharon knew. Because that was that was her friend. But, I mean, she also had a baby at this time. So he had some good right. leverage over her. So I, yep. we just don't know what the situation was. Um, he doesn't seem like he's especially motivated to hide some of those crimes. If you kind of take into account what happened with Jenny. So I bet you she did. I bet she she was aware. Um, it also might have been a good leverage over her to know mm-hmm. that he killed her friend. I mean. Right. They might kill her too. Yeah. You're right. I mean, he's proud of being able to do stuff and get away with it. So yeah. it's almost a bragging thing. Right? So then Michelle comes back into this situation. She was the babysitter for Michael. She talks about knowing that Sharon and Franklin were going out of town. It just so happens that a neighbor of hers happens to see some weird shady character kind of skulking around their trailer and shortly thereafter an explosion happens that blows the trailer up so Mm -hmm. that seems like on purpose so they kind of suspect it's like maybe an insurance motivated type situation or something like that Mm -hmm. and this is also why most likely they got married right so they know that it's possible they'll be looking for a man his daughter and his daughter's child right they won't be looking for a man and his wife and their child. Yes. Yeah. So it changes the demographic. Thankfully, they're able to charge Franklin with first degree murder for Cheryl, which is a yeah. capital crime. Right. And holds the death penalty. Michelle talks about how she had to go into the FBI and identify pictures. And, you know, once she learns about all this stuff, because, again, she was naive to it as well. And yeah. once you hear it, you're like, I was there. I was in the middle of it. And I didn't even know it. That's got to be hard as well. But she was just a kid. Yeah, and it's interesting to consider the fact that she's not going to be looking for ulterior motives. And, you know, I think she probably was aware that they had a weird relationship and it was controlling and stuff, but she probably wasn't aware right. that her dad, husband, like the, that angle was probably a little unknown to somebody who right. thankfully was naive of those kinds of situations. Well, he was convicted and sentenced to death, mm-hmm. which is good. They mm-hmm. got him on account of murder they know he's going to be put to death but they still have no idea what happened to michael right he's still unaccounted for so 2002 enter matt birkbeck his friend sends him a picture that was on the doe network it's a you know a website that they try to find lost people i guess this is people putting good use of the internet right 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 they're researching and and trying to uh find names and 
I don't know, solve crimes. And so I, I, I so dig this. If I had any time and well, let's say unlimited time, I think I, this would be totally something I'd be into. I don't think so. Only because I feel like I would want, I'm, my attention to detail is not nearly what it should be. And I would miss a lot of shit. Let's be honest. <laughs> My boss could probably attest to that. Anyway, but this picture is the JCPenney picture of Franklin and Sharon, right? right? The one where she's clearly an abused child, which is what they're hearkening back to here. And I'm like, again, that's a... I mean, she doesn't look happy, but I mean, like, she's not crying. She's just, she just looks a little distant. She looks mm-hmm. like a sort of pissed off five-year-old. I don't know. When they are pissed off a lot. They can't do whatever they want all the time. I know. Well, I mean, like, in any time, you're, that's what your picture is going to pick. Like, I mean, any professional photographer mm-hmm. is going to be able to be like, yeah, they'll probably find right before you put them on the camera and right after you take the camera away. But that 30 minutes when you're trying to get a good shot, that's when they're freaking out the most. And if you're like me, those are the ones that I buy because those are the <laughs> funniest. And so I don't buy, like, the superposed ones. I want the candid ones that look ridiculous. Well, that's good leverage for later. <laughs> and the caption to this picture was, she had been kidnapped, raises his daughter, married to him, then killed. Yeah, I would get on board that too. I've got to figure out what that's about, right? So Matt speaks to our friend Joe first. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe says that, like you said, he had very few unsolved cases and this was one of them. And he still wanted to know who was Sharon Marshall and what happened to Michael Hughes. But he retired, right? So he's no longer searching for these answers. But Matt gives him a way to jump back in and help, which is pretty awesome. Matt decides to write a book, hoping that through the process of writing a book, he'll be able to determine Sharon's identity. He went to speak with Franklin. Franklin brought all of his files in with him, which is impressive. How much time do you think you have with this man? Anyway, he starts to rant, Franklin starts to rant and telling his side of the story, thinking that Matt might be able to help him where his lawyers couldn't or himself couldn't. And I like that Matt was like, listen, I could see where this person, Franklin, where he came from and how he became who he became. He was born in 1943. Mm -hmm. His father died. He had brothers and sisters. His mother couldn't take care of them, sent them to a Mm -hmm. Baptist, I'm guessing, orphanage. Yeah. Georgia Children's Baptist Home. He was abused by the caretakers as well as the other kids there. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets out. He joins the army. He roams around a bit. He ends up in prison. Is abused there as well, which is horrible. Right. But there are a lot of stories of things like that happening where they don't turn out to be pedophile psychopaths, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that he did suffer some abuse. I mean, it, part of it sounds pretty horrible. It's not pleasant. Right. And they say that that's a big predictor. If you've been subjected to bad stuff in your past, you might propagate that on people around you in the future. That's maybe how this works. I don't know exactly about cycles of abuse, but there are some theories about that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he also denies the proof of the crimes that he committed. He's not responsible right. for anything. And so that's another kind of big hallmark that I took away from this is that, well, I mean, this, all this other horrible stuff happened to me and I'm not responsible for the things that I did. Mm-hmm. And they have no proof. They can't, I mean, they convicted me, but they have no proof of me doing any of these crimes. And then he also mentions that Sharon just came with him. I don't, they, there's not a lot of detail around that at this point. He didn't take her. She just came along. <laughs> yes. At the ripe old age of five, when you're making great decisions. So the book, A Beautiful Child is published in 2004 but unfortunately there really aren't any nice disney wrap-ups at the end of this one it remains kind of open-ended but because of the book you have people on the doe network and web sleuths and people around the world now getting invested in trying to figure out who sharon was and they got a couple of good leads and one of them was someone called or emailed or carrier Mm -hmm. pigeoned and said would the dna of sharon's daughter help you Yes, ma'am, it would. Thank you. Yeah, let's give it a shot. So we meet Megan. How do you say her last name? I didn't even try. I was just like, nope, not even. Yeah, Dufresne. Mm -hmm. I love it. Uh, Megan Dufresne, that's what we're going to call her. She is Sharon's birth daughter that was Mm -hmm. given up for adoption. And Mary Dufresne is her adopted mother. She met with Sharon and Franklin, who presented as a couple who could not afford to have another kid. 
she said the whole time Franklin just wanted it done, wanted to get it over with, wanted money, essentially controlled the conversation. Six weeks later, Megan was born. Mary asked Sharon if she wanted to see the baby. She said, no, I can't. I completely understand that because I think once I saw the baby, I wouldn't be able to give it up. Yeah, be tough. But then Mary makes a comment and I don't know. She says, why didn't she say anything then? They were alone. Mm -hmm. Why didn't she ask for help? From what? This is this woman's life. She doesn't know any different. This is where she's been her whole life, essentially. Well, I think it's okay to... She asked that question, you know, realizing that you have been in contact. I mean, she had a moment where she could have asked Mm -hmm. for help. We've seen many times that victims of severe abuse and stuff like that, they may not act in a way that you would as a person who hasn't experienced this. And it just makes sense that, you know, any moment you might Mm -hmm. kind of try to get yourself out of this. I just don't think people all work that way, especially if you've been... I don't know, in a really tough situation for a long time. She may have given up hope. I mean, also, she may have been really tired because she just had a baby. Right. Lots of reasons. But I, I think Mary's point was she would have liked to have helped her if she had known what the real situation was. She would yeah. have tried to be of assistance to a yeah. lady that was really in trouble. So, And I think that's what it comes down to. You make a statement that sounds almost like victim blaming because you feel like you wanted to help when, in the end, this woman's life was just so so drastically different. She went to school. It's not like he kept her under lock and key. She went to school. Mm -hmm. She did camp stuff. She worked as an exotic dancer, making probably a shit to more money than he could make. Even before she had Michael, she had opportunity Mm -hmm. to leave. But for what? Where would she go? What would she do? What did she know how to do with life? I don't know. Well, I think especially when you're young and malleable, that's when you're going to be more controllable. I think as you get older and you're just like, I can't live with this anymore. I can't deal with this bullshit anymore. You're probably a little harder to control in my Mm -hmm. opinion. But again, by the time she had Michael, I mean, he had her. He had a a good leverage over her. She's not going to leave that boy with him because she knows what is in store for him. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's just terrifying. So she was just in a really bad place. So Megan DeFresney, you know, she's learned about Sharon's life. And obviously that's not Mm -hmm. easy to learn. This is your biological mother. But I like that she mentions that she gives her credit because Sharon gave up a child, which clearly she probably didn't want to because when she was able to keep a child, she was a great mother. Mm -hmm. So she gave up a child, probably against her will, because she knew that child would have a better life. And that's not easy. Yeah, it takes a lot of bravery to do Mm -hmm. that. And strength. I like that Megan says she looks at pictures of Sharon when she's younger, as well as Michael, to see, like, what do I look like compared to, because Michael's her brother. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, just seeing what they look like versus what she looked like at that age. And it's very sweet. So Megan's DNA test in 2010-2011 is, I mean, those results are handed over. About this time, the Center for Missing and Exploited Children gets involved. Mm -hmm. We meet... Ashley, who's the forensics case manager, she happens to catch Sharon's case. And um, then she kind of gets a hold of Joe, who provides some details for this. Mm-hmm. And then together they come up with a new plan. I mean, they realize that they have very little information. They really need to talk to Franklin. They need Franklin to talk to them more so, right? He's the one with all the answers. He's on death row. So at this point, I get it. What does he have to lose? You're already going to get killed. What does it matter? So Scott... Lob and Nate Fur. I actually worked with a guy named Nate Fur. He was a chemist. That's not the same guy. Anyway, Scott Lob and Nate Fur, who are also FBI agents, mm-hmm. they go to talk to Franklin again to try to get answers. And they have three questions they want answered Who is Sharon Marshall? What happened to Michael? Mm-hmm. And were you responsible for the death of Sharon? I like how Franklin first thought they were his attorneys. And they're like, um, no, calm down. Again, he comes in certain ranting and raving about whatever. And you have to remember that these guys are probably, they don't explicitly talk about it, but they're trained in interrogation. It's not like if I went in there and I was like, so (laughs) what gives, you know, like totally unprofessional or whatever. Just tell us. So have you had your fun yet? And we can find out some, Mm. you know, details about this. So they, they have those three question that that's really the the meat of what they're trying to get to get figured out here Mm -hmm. they start with who's sharon because they figured there's no admitting to any guilt there it's just a question right and he doesn't say anything he doesn't want to talk about any but eventually eventually 
he starts like mm-hmm. crying and cause they're asking all these questions. And finally he says, they ask what happened to Michael? What happened to Michael? They're like mm-hmm. getting somewhat aggressive. Good for them. Sounds like they're really aggressive. Like yeah. banging on the table and uh, which is tough because they're trying to get answers out of this guy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, we've heard a lot of stories about interrogation and how it's, done in such a way that prompts people to confess to things that they haven't actually done. So I was like, oh, mm, this is not, right. it's, it's just tough to kind of hear about that with that other considerations in mind. Yeah. He admits to shooting Michael twice in the back of the head to make it quick. Mm-hmm. He said he buried him near the Oklahoma, Texas border. Um, they looked for a little while, but they could never find his body. Then he starts talking about how handsome he was when he was younger and some about a bus uniform and all this shit. He talks about how he met Sandy. They asked him what name he used at the time. It was Brandon Cleo Williams. But he meets Sandy. She had just lost her three kids to the system. He gives them dates. He gives them everything. And so, you know, they're like, what about this oldest kid? And he's like, oh, that's Sharon. And they're like, what's her real name? And he said, Suzanne Savakis. When they find out her real name and they get her birth certificate, they find out that her parents, Sandra and Clifford, are still alive. So now we meet Sandra Willett. She said the FBI showed up at her door with a picture of Susie. And she's like, oh, that's my daughter. Do you know where she is? I can't even imagine that many years later. You're going to get the sense that she's been expecting something, that they show up like this. And the tale of how she lost Sharon or she lost Sharon, Susie, is really sad. She met somebody. This is Clifford. They got married. He was a he went to Vietnam. She had Susie while he was gone. And uh, when he came back, he was not okay. He was really dealing with a lot of the things that he saw while he was there. He wasn't really able to be a good parent. That's the first part of it, right? So then she ends up meeting Cleo and they split up. I mean, she and Clifford split up and he runs off with her kids, basically. Right. So she had two more girls, Allison and yes. Amy. They lived in a trailer park. At one point in time, they're in the trailer. There's a tornado. The tornado flips the trailer. As we all know now, but I think at one point in time, you might not have put that into consideration. Now we know. And she had quite a bit of PTSD from that. I can't imagine the slightest bit of thunder or raindrop. I'd probably be terrified. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so knowing that she wasn't in a good place to take care of her kids, she goes mm-hmm. to child services. She thinks they will help her somehow. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they take the three girls from her. And they tell her, go to church, you'll feel better. (laughs) That's the answer to everything, isn't it? So when she goes to church, after the girls were taken, she meets Franklin. And, you know, she's crying and he walks up and he's soothing. He's like, don't you worry about it. We'll get your children back. We'll get married. It'll be all right. What kind of state of mind you can be in to not know someone, but go through with the scheme I can't even imagine. She could not have been with it. You know, it's especially with her husband having been gone and then he comes back and he's not okay. And so, I mean, like there's, I think that there's a lot that this lady has been dealing with. I just, I don't blame her for having to ask for help because that takes a lot of bravery. Really, it's the failure of the system to support her and what mm-hmm. she needs. And it's so sad that this is where this ended up because, you know, she didn't have any resources. Child services calls Cliff and asks him, hey... Would you like to take all three? Keep in mind, I believe only Susie was his daughter. The other two were someone else's. So they're like, but listen, these three are very close. We don't want to separate them. So it's Mm -hmm. an all or nothing deal. And he's still dealing with trauma from Vietnam. He's Mm -hmm. only like 23, living with his parents, unemployed. Mm -hmm. He was like, "I, I can't take them. Sandra and Franklin get the girls back. They get married. And he's not a good person, right? He's scary. He's Everything we know him to be now, he was also then, right? Yeah, controlling. At one point in time, she writes a bad check to 7-Eleven to get diapers, and they throw her in jail for 30 days. That seems like what you should do to a mother who doesn't have money for diapers. Anyway, that's when Franklin took the girls. He takes all three, Mm -hmm. drops the two youngest ones off at an orphanage, takes Susie, and leaves. This is where I got a little bit frustrated as well, because now you have Heather chiming in saying, I don't know why her mother didn't look harder because I was taken and my mom did everything she could to find me. Listen, this woman's been through a fucking lot. You know what I mean? We don't know how much she tried to find her. We don't know how much she was 
turned out she, we do know she went to the police and said that this man took my kids and they said, were you married? And she said, yes. They're like tough shit. Then that's between you guys. Not were they her kids? Because even if you're married, I would think that have been like, are they his biological children? No, that might have come along in more recent years. Right. As this is right around 1970 something. I mean, women had very few rights. They were not taken seriously in most cases, especially law enforcement. So that probably wasn't in consideration. But again, here we are blaming parents like for being in these crazy ass situations. I don't know what is the right way to do this, but I think she did her best. And it's like, this is horrific. I don't know what what to say about that. But it is really a bummer to hear somebody blaming her for this. I'm sure that that's probably been something she's been doing since it happened. Absolutely. Right. Because she didn't know what happened to her daughter. And then you have once she finds out how much worse would you feel, you know, when you find out how horrible it was. Mary Dufresne actually said she reached out to Sandra Mm -hmm. to try to see if she wanted to start having meetings with Megan or whatever. Right. This is your granddaughter. Would you like to meet her? And there was no interest. Of course, she's like, well, you know, I don't I don't think that's okay." And again, I understand where every time she sees Megan, she might have to remember what happened to her daughter that she couldn't protect her from. I don't know what's going through this woman's mind, but I'm not going to blame her for someone else stealing her fucking kids. You know, moms take a lot of shit for everything. Like you either do too much or you do too little. And it's, I don't know, doesn't seem like they're coming after the dad in so many words, but I'm not saying that. (laughs) Right. I thought of that too. You know, there were three kids. He could have taken them in. He chose not to. So there we are. Mm Mm-hmm. But again, I'm sure you're not thinking, you know, you're, you're thinking I cannot provide the life that these kids deserve. I doubt you're really thinking, well, what could be the worst absolute case scenario if I don't take these kids, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, he is now. So yeah, I mean, the good news is that they figure out who she is. It's a small comfort. You know what I mean? And did we ever find out if he did kill Sharon? No, I don't think there's any closure on who killed Sharon. It is assumed since he was violent and all of these things that he did, but I don't know. So we just kind of infer that that's the case. So then kind of the resolution of this whole thing is that they kind of correct or update her headstone and they give her her name back. All of the people Mm -hmm. that were involved in this kind of get together and have a ceremony and stuff for her. And I mean, that part is lovely. It is. You know, we talked to Cliff who, I don't know, I, I would be interested to know what he was thinking Like, did he know his kid was taken at some point in time? Or did he just assume that she was in a foster home or, you know what I mean? Once he said no. They didn't really discuss a lot of that sort of side story there. But he does say that knowing, you know, meeting the people that she was friends with when she was dancing or when she was in school and hearing the kind of person she was makes him feel a little bit better. He is in a relationship with Megan, who is his granddaughter. Mm -hmm. So even though he can't be in his daughter's life because she's sure. past. He can at least mm-hmm. see his granddaughter, which is nice. That was a nice outcome. And again, Heather, Jesus Christ, girl, she said it's hard because Tanya, Sharon, Susie had so much potential and she clearly did, right? She lived this horrific life and still was able to thrive to a certain extent, right? I mean, that's amazing. And Heather said, if she could have just gotten away from him, she would have been an amazing survivor. And I was like, but she was a fucking survivor. I just, yeah, she didn't survive much past 20, but she fucking survived. I don't know what the catalyst for him to finally do her in was, if that's kind of what we're going with. I think that's sort of an interesting, it seems like what she was providing to him worked out for him. I mean, horribly as a situation as that was, but I, you know, it's, it's not like, Maybe she was trying to get up the courage to leave. I mean, I don't know. I guess the life insurance policy or something like that that she had mentioned to Karen. But there's money. And also she'd probably aged out of the program. as well. Oh, that's probably right? true. I mean, yeah. As horrible as that is. But I mean, to have lived such a horrible life and still been able to affect people. In such a positive way. I was really um, impressed with her. Yeah, this was. Um, it was horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, I was this morning when I'm rewatching it and writing notes. I'm like, fucking Aaron. Fuck right. It. Like I dreaded rewatching this. And, and again, the documentary was very well done. It was the content was so hard. Right. And I wonder if that's why Sky chooses to do these stories. 
that he wants people to know and like kind of, you know, what, what is seen is dealt with. Right. So, I mean, the more we know mm-hmm. about these kind of horrible situations, maybe the less likely they are to happen because people will be paying attention. So I, I hope that that's the case. I hope that that's the right. kind of the lesson here. I don't know. My lesson is let's, let's not do another sky documentary <laughs> for a little while. That's my <laughs> lesson. Yeah. Kind of pepper those in uh, strategically. Yes. Something fluffy. Let me tell you, I had to watch after this. I had to go back and watch some Schitt's Creek. I needed something (laughs) fluffy. (laughs) Oh, such a great show. I hear you wholeheartedly. Well, let's talk about what we're going to do next week because that's quite a departure. It is. What are we doing next week? We're doing This is Guar. (laughs) Or if you're a nerd, like, well, not a nerd, like me i called it gwar the first time i got heckled hardcore so i will not mistake <laughs> again so guar do you want to tell us a little bit about guar a little uh oh. appetite wetter if you will i love guar it's um they're a heavy metal band but they put on a show they're aliens from outer space and it's all costumes and fluids being spewed onto the crowd i mean it's an art theatrics of the highest order Yes. You don't even have to like the music to enjoy the show. I used to go every year. They would come here on Halloween every year. And I went when I lived in Florida too. It's just such a fun show. Yeah. I'm excited for this one. Coming in this sort of as an office. I'm I'm excited too, because I don't know a whole lot about them. <laughs> I have a couple dates for this 2021, 2022. I think it's on AMC plus. There is like a free seven day thing. If you want to do that, if you don't already have it on mm. one of your streaming thingies. Anywhere from an hour and 13 to an hour and 15 minutes. Like I said, I kind of got a bit of a range. So we've seen that on occasion. So I guess maybe there are some different versions perhaps, but we'll see when we get in there. Yeah, I can't imagine that there's two different documentaries. <laughs> like it's just too niche to be um, yeah. <laughs> right. that I'm not going to catch the right one. So with that, we ask you to rate, review, and subscribe as always. Get us to more ears and... You can reach us at Go Doc Yourself on Instagram and Twitter. Any recommendations you'd like to hear coming up, anything you'd like to like us to cover, please understand we might not get to it right away because as we have to take care of our mental health, <laughs> 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 yeah. So we're kind of uh, trying to pick and choose what we uh, what we let ourselves enjoy here. So yeah, mm-hmm. all right. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm sorry that this was so hard. <laughs> Yeah, but next week will be better. I promise. Yep. I think. I hope. I but hope so too. Until then. All right. <laughs> Later. Bye.